0: Last week, uh, Abraham sent his servant, uh, Eleazar, and we talked about it, to find a bride for Isaac, and he finds Rebekah. Uh, toward the end of that chapter now, they are coming back, and they will meet one another. Now, Isaac was living in the Negev, and one evening, he went out into the fields to meditate. He looked up and saw camels approaching Rebekah saw Isaac at that time and she got down off the camels and said to his servant, Who is this man coming to meet us in the fields? And he answered, the servant answered, This is my master. And so she took her veil and covered her face. And then the servant went and told Isaac all that he had done. And Isaac took Rebekah into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married her. She became his wife, And he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after the death of his mother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. While Jesus was not married, and Paul even recommended for some the single life, marriage is traditionally in Judaism highly significant. The rabbis taught that it was so significant in Jesus' day that if two processions came to the same place on the road, a wedding procession and a funeral procession, the funeral procession had to move out of the way and let the wedding procession go by. Now, unfortunately, in our world, uh, sometimes there's not a lot of difference between the two. Sometimes great effort is put into the wedding, and then the effort dies. And then the struggle and the decaying of the hopes and the dreams of the relationship often follow. This morning, I want to talk with you, though, about the difference between a Western and basically Christian approach to marriage and the approach to marriage that would have been reflected in Jesus' day and even perhaps past that day and the Jewish practice and understanding of marriage. Now, as we get into it, understand this, just as Jesus has followers and disciples like the original 12 and like you and me, and we don't always do what Jesus tells us to do. In the same way, we can always find people um, who are Jews who don't necessarily follow the practice and the theory that I'm going to outline for you today. But if I were to summarize the difference between a Western approach to marriage and a Jewish approach to marriage, I can do no better than what Marvin Wilson in his book Our Father Abraham did. He says this, that for Western Christians, the key is love before marriage. For Jews, all the way back to Abraham, the key is love after marriage. Now... The verse that the rabbis would cite to teach this practice in marriage was this one, that Isaac made Rebekah his wife. He married her, and then he loved her. And so the approach might be called not love before marriage, but love after marriage. You may remember on Palm Sunday that I taught you that the first time the word love shows up in the whole Bible is Genesis 22. And it describes the love that Abraham has uh, for Isaac, and it's a a love that is willing to sacrifice even their child uh, for God. And then we see that that's the kind of love God picks up and shows us. Now, the second time we find love in the whole Bible is right here that she became his wife and then he loved her. And so the second example of love is the kind of love that a husband has for a bride and, and a bride for the husband. And this will get picked up. In Ephesians 5, we're told that Jesus loves us just like the husband loves the bride. So this morning, I want to just look at these Two approaches to marriage, love before marriage and love after marriage, and, and maybe tease out some of the implications it might have for our relationships. Maybe I can help it become a little clearer, though, this way. Uh, when Wilson describes it, this is, this is what he says. The difference is this. The Christian practice is marry the one you love. The Jewish practice is love the one you've married. Or, as one uh, Jew put it to a Western European friend, it's this. He said, he said uh, what you European Christians do is you take hot soup and you put it on a cold plate and it cools. He says, what we Jews do is we took, take cold soup, perhaps a couple that's just met in some ways, put it over a fire and it warms up. Love before marriage, love after after marriage. There's a difference between the two. I want to look at that with you for a moment uh, this morning. Well, the first thing that strikes me is love before marriage puts the emphasis on um, on picking the right person. And this is not a bad emphasis. It's not bad at all. In fact, look at all the trouble Abraham and Eleazar went to to pick a bride for Rebecca. I mean, a bride for Isaac and finding Rebecca. Paul even gives instructions about uh, uh, about marriage and, and the kind of person. One is, uh, one is looking for. And Jesus lived in a day when marriages were arranged so somebody was doing the picking. Uh, so picking is still significant and, and everything from eHarmony and Match.com and ChristianSingle.com there's a lot of, of tools out there to help you pick. But the difference is this. Whereas that approach works on finding the right person and the assumption in the commercials you see is if I've done that, then I've done. I got it. The difference is in Judaism, it's not finding the right person, but it's being the right person. What happens? What happens after the marriage? I, I, I sit uh, in, in my office several times a year with couples who are getting ready to marry, and one of the things I try to remind them is this. Assume that over the next 50 years, you and your spouse are going to change. Uh, physically, in the appearance, uh, things will happen in the job, things will happen health-wise, things will happen in your family. Assume it's not always going to be the way it is today. And so if your entire relationship is based on the way it is at this moment before you get married, you're going to be severely disappointed and hampered because things and people change. It's not just love before marriage and picking the right person, but love following marriage and being the right person with the, with the one that you have married. Another uh, part of this is when it's love before marriage, the heavy emphasis is on attractiveness, you know, on trying to win someone or, or be worthy of being won uh, by someone, a little bit like in, in, the, in part of the animal kingdom, and, um, you know, like birds, for example, the male is, is colorful too, to attract uh, the female. And, and the heavy emphasis then is on what do we look like? What are we like before we are married. And, and it's uh, that way. Even uh, among our, our houses, uh, some time ago I went up to where my wife works at University Hospital and some of her coworkers who worked with her for years had never met me. When I left, one of them said to her, Pam, I'm so surprised. I didn't know your husband was bald. And the response was, well, he had hair when I married him. You know, just assume that those things are going to happen. And so when that heavy emphasis is on the front end, what happens on the back end? As opposed to attractiveness, I think love after marriage might be what I call as isness Just accepting the person as they develop with their strengths and with their weaknesses. My wife's married to somebody who's bald, but the good news is I don't clog up the sink with my hair. Uh, my wife married someone who probably watches way too much sports on TV. But the good news is our kids got into it kept them off the street. Uh, there's a sense in which our spouses are package deals. They're going to come with a lot of strings, but but over time you're going to begin to identify they're going to come with some weaknesses as well, and will you love and be with them in those weaknesses? That would be love after marriage. Love after marriage emphasizes what's going on before, um, picking the right person, finding... An attractive person. How do I feel about the person? Love before marriage weighs heavily on emotion. Does this feel right? Am I getting the vibes that we should and could be together? Is this going to work out? And and there's nothing wrong with that. But love after marriage begins to emphasize what I taught the children. Chesed. That says, I'm going to act loving towards you no matter how I feel. That, that love is less emotion and more action. And that's true all the way across the Bible. That's the reason Jesus can say something as bizarre as love your enemies. I mean, you and I both have people on this planet that we will never have a warm space for in our heart. And yet we're commanded to love them, and that's because love is more um, uh, an action. That's the Shema commands us to love the Lord our God with all our, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And one of the things the rabbis debated is how can you command anybody to love? And the answer was because love is not how you feel about someone, but how you treat them. And so you stay loyal to them uh, no matter what. And so Hasid is love after marriage. I'm with you. I'm by your side when your hair falls out, uh, when your job takes a bad turn, uh, when something happens to your health, I'm there. But a quick sidebar. It's interesting to me. I think the church gets a lot of that. You know when we cut off Hasid? We cut off Hasid when people's marriages run into trouble. Or they break up, and then somehow we surprisingly do what God would never do, and we set them aside. Hasid is, yes, within our marriage, but Hasid is within all of our relationships. A fourth thing that I think love before marriage emphasizes is my choice. And I've got to, as Indiana Jones was told, looking for the Holy Grail, choose wisely. I've got to, make, And if I choose poorly, then my life is shot. It, it's down the drain. I can't tell you how many people have told me, well, I just chose the wrong person. Well, that, that's our Western Christian emphasis. The Jewish emphasis is interesting. They put the blame on God. This might be handy down the road. They assume God put the couple together. That God made the match. One of the things the rabbis say is this, that for God it is as difficult to put the right people together as it is to part the Red Sea. It's not easy. Even God struggles. But the idea is that somehow God is involved in the fact that you came together. And the um, implication of that is then one of the ways that I love God back is love the one that God put me with. Leslie Newbegin, a great theologian, put it this way, it could be that the duly appointed agent to receive the love that you owe Jesus Christ is your spouse. You claim you love Jesus. Newbegin says you want to show it. If you're married, love that person to whom you're married. Because there was that theological sense that God had brought you together. Another thing that, uh, that leads to is there's heavy pressure on individuals when we believe that it's all a matter of picking the right person. And this is so tough, and, and our, our children and our youth have struggled so much because all the big decisions they, we tell them they have to make for themselves, whether it's, uh, whether it's marriage or a college or, uh, or a career, and we put so much emphasis on that. And not on the emphasis, well, whatever college you end up in, whatever career you choose, honor God in that, in the after rather than before. And that's perhaps some of the Jewish wisdom that says, it's not all based on my right choice. Maybe it's based on what happens after that choice, and maybe that choice was even directed by God. Another thing I think that love before marriage does is it gives us the opportunity to love the way everybody else around us loves, if the conditions are right. Love after marriage emphasizes, I think, unconditional love. It's the way that Jesus loves me. Believe me, after all these years, my wife knows I'm not perfect. And she has to make a conscious decision to love me anyway. That's the way Jesus loved us. This is what Paul said. Christ died for us while we were yet. Anybody? Sinners. Sinners. That's, he made that choice. And it could be that the best chance I have in the Christian faith to practice the same kind of love that Jesus showed me is in my marriage. You know, if, if I'm talking with someone outside the Hope Center or I'm counseling a person in my office who's struggling, I can always imagine for them, you know, the, the, the kind of things that got them there and, and they're victims or things are going to turn around and, and I can sort of fantasize about how this, this all could be. But when I'm looking at my wife and she's looking at me, those fantasies go away. I mean, we know who each other is and how we got there. And will we love each other even with the warts and the difficulties? That would be love after marriage. Well, what does the Bible say happened? It says this, that Isaac's in the middle of his grief which means at the moment he's not as great a catch as you might think. He's wealthy because Abraham's wealthy, but he's still grieving. We're told one night he goes out to meditate and one of the rabbinic interpretations is he's going out to grieve some more in the evening when all of a sudden the camel approaches. She's going to find him and when she finds him, he's not at his best. But they marry and two things happen. First thing that happens is he's comforted. One of the things that a jewish theology of marriage is very clear about is that two become one that there's a partnership that we're meant to comfort and encourage and bring out the best and support the best in each other and apparently that happens for isaac but the second thing is even better because isaac will love rebecca as he finds her and she will love him as she finds him there will come forth a child and his name is jacob And Jacob will carry on the promise of God that started way back with Abraham. And from that, a family continues. From that, a nation will grow. From that, we could even argue, an entire world is blessed. counselor said this a number of years ago. I've not forgotten it. He said to those of us who are parents, he said, what your kids need to know is not that you love them, what your kids need to know is that you love each other so that they can believe and trust and love. An environment that brought forth Jacob, that would bring forth Joseph, that eventually would lead the people out of slavery into the Promised Land, all started from a couple deciding to love each other. When we do that, it's not just our lives that are blessed or even our kids. The Bible says, love each other after you're married and bless an entire world.